0: all can be seated. You can open up your Bible to the book of Daniel, to Daniel chapter 11. That's where we're gonna find ourselves this morning. Um, And while you're finding that, I was just gonna note probably what is painfully obvious to all of us is that 2020 has been a very unusual and trying year, hasn't it? I was thinking about that a lot the last several days. Uh, And I think 2020 has actually been very revealing of some things about us as human beings uh, that maybe we've been slow to realize before, but that it's kind of thrown in our face, that God has thrown in our face through it. I think a few things that it has revealed to us, I I would name three of them in particular, are how little we know, how much we fear, and how weak we are little we know, how much we fear, and how weak we are. And before we get to today's text, I just wanted to share where I'm coming from on that. Just think of a few of the primary examples from this year of COVID and everything that's come with it, and then this recent election. Uh, just thinking of coronavirus and all that has happened over the last year, a year ago, none of us, or I didn't at least, would have had a clue what it even was. And now it's something we'll never forget the rest of our lives. Uh, but it has shown us how little we really know, hasn't it? It's been months and months, and we still, there's still a lot we don't know about it. It still has a sense of mystery in a lot of ways to us. We have learned some things as human beings. We've learned some about how it spreads, some about the way it affects people, uh, some about how to treat people, but but we're far from out of the woods with it. And I I think it's pressed on us to realize that we as human beings don't always have all the answers right away. And sometimes we never get the answers to things. We don't know as much as we think that we do. I think it has shown us, this COVID situation has shown many of us how much we fear. And I think that fear has taken on different shapes. I think we're quick to see it in other people and slow to see it in ourself. I think that there's some of us uh, who this has affected this year, uh, where the fear that has been revealed in our heart is a fear of sickness, a fear of suffering, a fear of death whether it's of ourself or of people we love. We had a memorial survey yesterday for a dear brother in our church who died from this virus. And so some of us have become afraid of death and suffering and sickness. On the other side of the spectrum, I think that people may be slower to see this, but I think people who are just kind of sick of the whole thing, uh, who are wanting to be over it, may be fearful of things like these, like government overreach fearful of economic collapse, fearful of things like that, that if we we take certain actions, then this is going to happen, it's going to be awful, and we fear just a whole different cluster of things. Uh, But we're all, in some sense, fearful, has been revealed in this. And I think this virus has shown us how weak we are, that we don't naturally have immunity to it. Uh, We can feel powerless over it or in, in relation to it. Uh, And I think that that is a good thing for us to realize sometimes that we we aren't able just on our own to conquer and combat everything that comes our way. I think this recent election is a second example, and there's probably tons of other ones we could look at from this year. The election cycle recently has shown us how little we know, how much we fear, and how weak we are. Uh, I think it's shown us how little we know. I'm not going to make a lot of comments on this, but I think there's a, there's a whole industry of people whose, it's their job to, to create, pol- to do polls, right? And to make projections of what we think is going to be outcome in certain elections and races. And although not every single one, but a lot of them were just way off this year. Like things that we thought, hey, we, as best we can tell, we think this is going to happen. A lot of those were way off, and there's still uncertainty looming in our country, right? There just feels like a cloud over us as a nation in some ways. I think it's shown us how little we actually know. I think it has shown us, many people, how much we fear. And I've talked with a lot of people, not just in our church, but outside. And there's tons of fear. We're so polarized. I feel like some people are deathly afraid of four more years of the current administration and what that could do. And then some people are deathly afraid of four years of a new administration, what that may bring about. It's kind of like we're, we're picking what we're fearful of and we're quick to show how other people are afraid and slow to see how we have fear in our own hearts of what may become I think the election has shown how weak we are, how as one individual, I may be one vote, one voice amongst hundreds of millions, what good does my little drop in the bucket do? We can feel powerless to help our country uh, do what we think it should do. So I think this year has shown us how little we know, I think it's shown us how much we are afraid, how fearful we are, and I think it's shown how weak we are as human beings. And I think that's for our good. And as we turn to Daniel 11 today, I think we'll find it's an unusual, but I think it's a timely word, a timely text that can speak to us as God's people in our ignorance, what we don't know, in our fear like what we're afraid of, and it can speak to our weakness, the, the the smallness and inability that we feel as people. So I trust that you've found Daniel 11. This is a long chapter, so we're going to kind of just skim over the surface of it in a lot of ways now, but we'll do our best to, to dip down into it as we can. But just so we know where we are, because I don't assume all of you have been here every Sunday or any Sunday as we've been going through the book of Daniel, we're near the end of it now. There's this prophet named Daniel who was sent in as part of an exiled group from Jerusalem to the land of Babylon. He's lived through kings and kingdoms there, been faithful to the one true God. Um, But chapters 10, 11, and 12 all go together. It's as he's an old man now, he has this angel, after he's been seeking God in prayer, he has this angel, this majestic, powerful angel we heard about last Sunday come to him and give some revelation to him. Tell him some things that are going to take place. So like if you look at chapter 10, actually for just a second, verse four, uh, excuse me. Uh, Is it verse four? I have the people in the latter days, or in the last days. So he's told him, hey, I'm about to tell you, Daniel, what's gonna take place in the years and even the centuries that lay before you. And where I do wanna point you from chapter 10, and I know this is the right one, is verse 21. Before we launch into chapter 11, this angel had said to Daniel, I will tell you, and then hear how he phrases this, what is inscribed in the book of truth. So he said, I'm going to tell you the future and how he describes it. He says there's these things that have been inscribed in the book of truth. That's what he's going to tell him. And so this angel is going to tell Daniel what we're about to read. He's going to tell him not just his best guesses, Not just his projections of what he thinks as an angel who's seen a lot of what he thinks will probably happen. He's telling him things that God has already, even at the point he's about to say it, that God has already written down that are sure, that are certainties, not probabilities, things that are definitely going to take place. And there's several times in Scripture, including here, where God is depicted as having this book, and it's described in different ways, but this book that is in heaven, that, that includes in it the events of human history, that includes in it the events of your life and my life, uh, that, that he has recorded. And I would note for us as we start to read these things, the angel tells Daniel are gonna take place, that it, it's not as if God just kinda looked ahead through time, some people use this analogy that God looked down through the corridors of time and he saw what all of us human beings would do. And then he was like, okay, what are they going to do? And then writes it down and writes it down. God is described in this text and others as not as being the observer of the future, but the author of it. He's the, it's inscribed. He's the one who's written it out before it ever even comes to be. And so he's revealed things in dreams and visions throughout Daniel, and now we're going to see this angel speak in fairly plain language uh, about things that are going to take place. So we're going to walk through this little chunk by chunk. I'll try to tell you what he was anticipating, what he was forecasting, and saying, hey, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, because there's a bunch. Uh, We'll walk through that, and then I'll try to help us see the relevance it has for us as those ignorant, fearful weak people that we are so follow along with me we're just going to be skimming over the surface but these are the things from the book of truth that this angel tells daniel is going to take place i'm just going to read verses two to four to start and then we'll kind of gain momentum as we go so if you start at verse two this angel begins speaking again to daniel and he says this and now i will show you the truth behold three more kings shall arise in persia That's the kingdom Daniel's in right then. So three more kings shall rise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall rise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, But not to his posterity nor according to the authority with which he ruled for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these briefly here what this angel is talking about and you're going to see this is extremely accurate history that this angel is providing because it's already been written in the book of truth what he is telling Daniel is going to take place and what actually did then take place is this In that kingdom of Persia where Daniel was at this time, there did eventually arise a king uh, who, who was kind of the, the culmination. You see him in other parts of the body. It's the one that's referenced as this fourth king here who would be far richer than the ones who came before him. And that king was named Xerxes. Uh, he, was, he was this very powerful, very influential king. And he did, because God knew it would be an addicted, did fight against the Greeks. He came into combat against the Greeks, as it says there in verse 2. But even as he did that, there was this king arising in the Greek empire uh, who you probably heard of before, a famous guy named Alexander the Great. And that's who this verse 3 is speaking of. A king shall arise who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. Alexander the Great took over most of the known world that he lived in at that time. Even as a very young man, younger than myself, he, uh, he took over vast, vast territory. But what also took place that the angel anticipated was in verse 4. It says, as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom will be broken, divided, uh, that it will be plucked up from him and not passed on to his descendants. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, Alexander, as a young man, died And without an heir being appointed, yet his kingdom ultimately got divided. This vast kingdom got divided into four territories, uh, four regions that had different rulers that were set up over them. And so even in these verses, it's covering vast amounts of history, but with specificity enough to know God knew this was going to be. And God even dictated that this powerful man, Alexander the Great, would come to power, but then he would fall from power as well, that he would even die as a young man. And so we start to get this glimpse of how fragile earthly kingdoms are. Even the most powerful among them are temporary and weak. So we we start to get a a hint here as we read it in this later time in history that this angel knew what he was talking about. Uh, That long before these things ever take place, he's telling Daniel this is going to happen. So in this next section that I'm going to read, we're going to hear about... the the angel talking about how there's going to be these kings of the north and these kings of the south. Uh, And the the kings he's talking about, we're not going to be able to dip into all of them, but they're going to be the kings who are from the Syrian empire, or people call it the Seleucid family, is named after this guy who started uh, ruling in that territory after Alexander, and then those southern kings are going to be from the kingdom of Egypt, or uh, their initial ruler is named Ptolemy. It's hard to pronounce. It starts with P-T. How do you pronounce that? Uh, Ptolemy, uh, and the descendants of him uh, who came into power. But I'm going to read this for us, verses 5 through 20, and we're going to get a little glimpse into their interactions, kind of how they, uh, their kings would kind of combat and battle each other and rival each other. Uh, and this is very accurate history given In advance so follow along with me verses 5 down we'll go all the way through verse 20 and the king of the south shall be strong but one of his princes shall be stronger than he and shall rule and his authority shall be a great authority after some years they shall make an alliance and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land." His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. And the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail." For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall arise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people, so talking about the Israelites, the um, the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. And the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works, and take a well-fortified city, And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And listen to this. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom, but within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. That is a lot, a lot, a lot of history. If we had hours, I could walk through and and show you who each of those is referring to. Uh, They're incredibly accurate of the history that unfolded, uh, the interactions between those kings of the north uh, in Syria, those kings of the south in Egypt. Uh, But just to give you an example or two from that, if you look at verse 6, it talks about how there was going to be this marriage alliance of sorts between the north and the south. And that really did happen. Uh, This was foretold by this angel and it comes to be. Uh, There's this king of the north named Antiochus II. And there's this daughter of one of the kings of the south named Berenice, I think is how you uh, pronounce her name. And they made this arrangement for the two of them to marry and try to kind of bring some peace and stability between the kingdoms, but it went horribly, horribly wrong, as you could imagine. Ended up with various people getting murdered, including both of them, uh, the the king and queen, including their child, uh, including relatives you read about of this lady uh, from the south. And then uh, this relative, this brother of hers, comes to power. Uh, And there's this attacking and fighting between the two kingdoms. There's this kind of taking of territory and, and victories that come temporarily between the two of them. But I would note there, and I try to draw attention to it even in reading it, even in verse 16, I would note for us that God's people... Are not just foreign to all of this even though there's a lot of talk about syrian kings and the egyptian kings uh, right there in the middle in the promised land god's people are and they sometimes are mistreated by these kings and these rival kings as they try to battle each other and in verse 16 it even talks about this king standing in the glorious land that would have been that promised land with destruction in his hand that they weren't, as God was orchestrating these events of human kings and kingdoms, God's people are never immune from suffering, never immune from being mistreated, being even sometimes dominated by the enemies of God. But We see this endless ebb and flow of rival kingdoms uh, in this text. And if we had more time, I would show you what a lot more of those things refer to. But I don't think that's what God would want us to focus on in this text So I'm going to keep moving us along at the risk of just glossing over a lot. And I want us to show, see in these next chunk of verses, verses 21 down through 35, I want us to see one king in particular that this angel anticipated who is going to be very influential. Uh, His name would be Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV. Uh, and this, this angel gives a lot of air time to what this king is going to do, and so I want to read that for us, make a few comments on it, uh, and then we'll keep going. But if you follow along with me, verses 21 to all the way to 35, this is going to be talking about Antiochus Epiphanes. It says, In his place shall arise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given, He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods." He shall devise plans against his strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies at the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the appointed time. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant. And he shall work his will and return to his own land. Continue. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him and he shall be afraid and withdraw and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action and the wise among the people shall make many understand though for some days they shall stumble by the sword so that they may be refined purified and made white until the time of the end for it still awaits the appointed time Again, much is said right there in this angel in advance of this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, but a couple of things I would know. He talks in verses 21 to 28 about his rise to power and how he came to be very powerful and influential as this king of the north. But verses 29 to 35 really focus on how he interacts with God's people, the things he does towards the Israelites. And we've already seen these a little bit in more mysterious language back earlier in Daniel. But here the, the angel is much more clear that this king's going to arise and he's even going to come to the promised land. He's going to come to Jerusalem. He's going to come to the temple. And this text, this angel talks about he's going to deceive people. He's going to at least like, manipulate some people who have abandoned the covenant of God, who, who, who have walked away from it. Uh, you see that even in verse 30. Uh, I believe, uh, that he takes action against the holy covenant and he'll turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. So there's these people in the promised land who had given up really on following after the law, trusting in Yahweh and he seizes on them and manipulates them and then he ultimately comes to the temple and profanes it, the angel says in verse 31. Uh, he, he desecrates it he, he makes them stop offering sacrifices and offers a pig as a sacrifice offers sacrifices to these foreign gods it's just this abomination this angel speaks of that's going to come to be but there were some who resisted Right? there were some he says who are wise who resist uh, there, there are some who, who press back against him who don't just go along with him So these these descriptions of these events, they're so accurate uh, of what takes place in advance that many historians, many scholars think there's no way this angel actually told this to Daniel back during Daniel's lifetime. That they imagine it kind of like if somebody t- today in 2020 was trying to write about American history the last several hundred years but was telling it in great accuracy but setting it as if somebody was re- this was revealed to them back at Plymouth Rock, like that all this stuff was going to happen and they think there's no way that could have possibly happened. We know our God has done far more miraculous things than that, right? Uh, that, that he has written this book and that he revealed it to, uh, through this angel to Daniel in advance. I was going to read 36 down through the end of chapter. I am preaching next Sunday too, and it goes well with chapter 12. So I'm just going to hit pause on reading the rest of the chapter, and we'll pick that up next Sunday uh, because it all kind of of lumps together. Um, But that'll talk more where there's this shift in language where it's almost talking more about this antichrist who's going to come even at the end of time after even when we're living now. So we'll touch that next Sunday. Um, But I I want to think what relevance this text has for us because it could feel just like, that's awesome. This angel tells this guy some history. It's wonderful, good for Daniel, but it's all in the record books now. It's already all happened. What bearing does it have on us? And I want to share a few thoughts from this text about this. I, I think that a text like this, first, it can speak to us in our ignorance or about our ignorance. We talk about how little we know, right? Uh, This text just puts in our faces that there's nothing God does not know. He knows all things. And at minimum, when we read a text like this, we should stand in awe that God knows the future in its entirety. That God knows what's gonna happen later today. God knows what's gonna happen this week, this month, this year. God knows what is going to happen through all eternity. And God has made us as human beings who have imaginations, who can envision the future, but speculate about the future, guess about the future. God knows it because he wrote it. God knew about COVID. God knew about George Floyd. God knew about this election. God knew that Abel David would die last Sunday morning. God knew all this. He knows all of the future. But it's important for us to know that God does, doesn't know it, but He writes it. Those are very different things. God's not just omniscient, like know everything if you He's sovereign. Like He dictates what takes place. He's the one who's written it from the very beginning before there was a single day that can inform us because it can help us know history is not just cyclical. It's not just aimless. It is going somewhere. There's an author of it who's pointing it towards a particular end. How many of our plans have been scrapped in 2020? Tons, right? How many of, this is a rhetorical question, how many of God's plans have been scrapped in 2020? You could count it on zero hands, right? None. God, God set out this year to be as he saw fit. And it can feel perplexing to us, but he laid it out as he saw fit. And what is true about kings and kingdoms, that God knew it and God wrote it, is true about individuals as well. And it's true about churches, and it's true about cities, and it's true about countries. God knows what he is doing. Psalm 139.16 speaks about even individual lives where the psalmist said, In your book, there's that other, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. God has written 2020 before it began. God has written 2021 if Jesus stays in heaven before it even begins. He, he's already written the story. So this, this text can speak to our ignorance, our lack of knowledge. But more than that, I would say it can speak to our fears. We are so afraid as human beings at times. We're afraid of what's to come. We're afraid of what's to be. We're afraid of the unknown. And it's important for us in a text like this to see that even though God has written the story of history, written the story of our lives, there are often dark chapters in that story, aren't there? He did, this angel didn't just give Daniel this sweet, like pleasant, hey, this wonderful thing's going to happen for Israel, and then this great thing, and then this great thing. There's some really dark chapters he was saying that God has written for you all. But he's the writer of it. Like he, he's the one who writes it all. Oh. And God's, this can feel perplexing to us, if we're honest, that sometimes when we acknowledge that God is the author of history, God's the controller of history, that can feel very unsettling for us when we come into dark places, when we come into dark times to think, what? Like, why did you write this? I don't understand this chapter. Like, this chapter feels like one you could just shut and the story would be a lot better. It can feel very perplexing to us. Especially, we're facing dark times right now I'm not real just being this sweet peace and delight and, and, and pleasantries in our society over the next few weeks but I, I would encourage us with this that God has not just written our story but he has entered our story it's not just that God just sits in the heavens and has written these dark chapters for us to walk through and it says like hey good luck with that I hope you do well with that. I know this is a hard blow for you to take. God the Son became a human being. God the Son was laid in a trough that animals ate out of. God the Son was mistreated and abandoned by his friends. There's dark chapters in the story that God the Father wrote for his life. God the Son suffered and died upon the cross for our sins. And in that act, God was demonstrating, once and for all, His love for us. The same God who's written these dark chapters, who's written these hard things into our life, was putting at the center of human history this monument at the cross that, I love you, like I am for you, I will forgive you. And when we walk through dark clouds, we dark, walk through dark times and the dark chapters of God's story for us, we can look back at the cross and say, I know He loves me. I can trust Him in this. And though I am fearful of maybe, humanly speaking, things that are come, I know that the God who wrote this story wrote it in love for me. And it ought to, to buoy our heart, it ought to anchor our soul down. So when we bury our friends, when we lose our jobs, when we see our nation in distress, we can look to the cross and know that the author of history loves us and is for us. And the last thing I would say is that this text can speak to our weakness. There's a temptation in reading texts like this, if you're like me, where you see God is the author of history and he does what he wants and everything he says comes to pass. There can be this temptation to slip into what people would call fatalism. You're just saying, well, God's already written this. It's going to happen. Why do I even try such and such? Why do I even make efforts? Why do I even attempt to do things? You read in something like verse 36, it says, What is decreed shall be done. Why, why should I do anything? But I, I would encourage us even in this text see that in this very book of truth that God has written that he's also written in human activity hasn't he? Like even in the revelation this angel gives there's, angel, there's human beings doing things resisting the enemy seeking to, to deny him and the things that he's, ways he's trying to mislead them Verse 32 says that the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. So part of the story that God's right is not just our passivity but our activity. The, the, the way he brings about things, the way he brings about conversions of souls, the way he brings about the establishment of churches, the way he establishes righteousness and justice is by the Holy Spirit, but typically through human beings, people he has saved, people he is growing. And so we ought to not read a text like this and just become passive and complacent. But we should be active and hopeful, doing the things that God has called us to do. Trusting him that as I do these things, he's gonna accompany them with effectiveness. He's gonna maybe even use little on me to bring about some of the change that he's written into this story. So we are weak, uh, but we are not powerless because God uses us in the story that he's writing. So 2020 uh, was written in the book of truth uh, before year one, whenever that was, back in the Garden of Eden. Uh, The year that we call 2020 was written in the book of truth, even before that, before Adam even opened his eyes. And none of us have seen a lot of these things coming this year, these hard things we've had to walk through, but God did. And God knows every difficulty we are going to walk through. And while we might be eager to turn the page to 2021, I'm eager to turn the page to 2021. We can have confidence that God has written that chapter as well. Amen. And that we who are are ignorant, we who are uh, fearful, we who are weak, that we can trust him and we can follow him into it. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And we're going to sing one more song uh, before we go. But thanks for wading through that text with me. I would encourage you to walk back through it and and see God's hand uh, and how he has orchestrated history, how he's unfolded it just as he has written. But let's pray, and then we'll sing together. And I'll leave you with a word of benediction. Father in heaven, we are humbled. We who cannot even plan tomorrow. With certainty we are humbled and grateful to know that you've already planned it that you know everything that's going to take place in our life the sweet and the pleasant the joyful but also the painful the, the grief inducing ones you've written them all and we are grateful beyond words that we have the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus to look at to know that we can trust you because you love us We pray that you would fill our hearts with hope, that you would fill our our souls with courage uh, as we face some dark and trying times potentially in these days ahead and that we may be faithful and diligent to follow after your son, Jesus. And we pray this in his name.